If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up. We're going to look at a bunch of different passages of Scripture this morning. And uh, as always, all of the Scripture references that we look at will be on the screen for you to follow along. And uh, every week uh, at uh, Champion Force, if you go to our media site, uh, you can download the notes that we preach from. They're there for, for you just to study throughout the week. It really is good to be with you and to be on the Jersey Village campus today. And I uh, just want you to know uh, how much I love our family of faith called Champion Forest, one church in three locations. And God is doing a tremendous work here uh, just for, from Easter just a couple of weeks ago, just to kind of give you a brief update before we jump in uh, to this uh, series and this sermon today. Uh, you know, God is uh, moving in a powerful way uh, on Easter Sunday across our three campuses. Uh, we had uh, over 13,500 people worship with us at one of our Sunday morning campuses. And, uh, you know, we, we throw out numbers and uh, numbers don't really, you know, move the needle for my heart personally. Uh, it's not like God's up in heaven going, you had 13,500, great. You know, Houston's got 11 million people in it. Uh, it's none of that. Um, but what it is showing you is that in 2021, coming out of COVID, uh, we had over 9,000. Last year, we had 11,500, and this year, 13,600. So what it does show you is that the front door of our church is open. People are coming in, and uh, many of you uh, are uh, new to our faith family here, and uh, we had on that weekend 198 people across our three campuses pray to receive Christ. And so numbers represent people. And uh, that's a good thing to see people coming to know Christ. We had 55 baptisms uh, across our campuses on Good Friday. And, and so uh, this represents changed lives. And so I just want you to see, you know, when you come to a service like this and you see at the very beginning us baptize two people, uh, never get over people seeing, uh, never get over seeing lives change. Never get over people getting into the waters of baptism and uh, showing the world what they believe and to whom they belong. Uh, and so when those waters are turning over here, it shows that new life in Christ uh, is, is being uh, produced here. And that's what we're all about. At the end of the day, that's the scoreboard. Is people or people's lives being changed uh, by the power of the gospel. And so uh, we're in this new series here because I thought it was time as a preaching team uh, to just talk about some things that uh, we believe. You know, a lot of things are changing. Uh, change is a part of life. It, it, it's, it's the one constant in life is, is change. But there are some things as a church that we are never going to change. Uh, you know, you've experienced a little change here when we brought Caleb O'Neill on to be our lead worship pastor here at this campus this past week. And so uh, there, there's always things changing. As a church, we're going to look at, you know, changing and making sure that we're doing the most effective uh, possible as it relates to ministries and programs and events. And we may start new programs and ministries. We may, we may uh, quit programs and ministries. We always want to do what's effective. Change is a part of life. But there are some things that are never, ever, ever going to change. And that's what 
this series is about on doctrine that we believe. We're looking at the essentials of the faith, and it's not just what we believe, uh, but it's why we believe what we believe and why what we believe matters. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. I have a hobby uh, that I've had since I was a, a young boy. I, I love reading, and I can remember my elementary school. We had a couple of uh, uh, sections in our elementary library of biographies, and I made it my goal that I was going to read every biography uh, before I got out of that elementary school in the fourth grade, and I did it. I read all those biographies, and then I went through this boxcar children phase, uh, and I read all the boxcar children, and then I went through the Hardy Boys mystery phase, read all those Hardy Boys uh, books. When I, when I was called to ministry, I was 17 years old, and my home pastor, Bossier City, Louisiana, uh, brought me in. He said, Jared, if you're going to be a preacher... Uh, you've got to start building your theological library. He said, books to a preacher are like tools to a craftsman. And so I can remember him bringing me in his office, and uh, he had all of these bookshelves just lined with books, and he gave me eight or ten books uh, to start my theological library. I was always grateful for my home pastor doing that, and it just set me on this journey of just loving uh, theology and reading theology. And one of the best books, one of the most profound books, probably the most influential book that I've ever read outside of the Bible is, is a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. First introduced to it in November of 2002, and I remember the month and the date because I was introduced to it the week that I was getting married. Now, typically, when I go on a trip, uh, I will take uh, a four, five, six, seven books with me, and uh, I never finish any of them, uh, but I just read a chapter or two. It depends on the mood that I'm in, depends on uh, uh, you know the, the time that I've got, depends on whether the book's any good or not, and so I knew going on the honeymoon, I wanted to take one book, and so I rem vividly remember going to my, uh, uh, my library at the time was like one shelf, all right, and I can remember looking at all of these books that I had, three or four shelves full, and I said, God, what is one book you want me to get? One book that I could take uh, that, that, that would, and I remember praying about it. And I'm looking and searching, and I get this little paperback. I should have brought it, but now it's in like, it's like in sets of three because I've read it so much and underlined it, so it's just broken apart. Uh, but I found A.W. Tozer's Pursuit of God. And I remember taking it with me that week. And that week, I had my honeymoon in St. Lucia along with my quiet times with God and A.W. Tozer. It was a great week, all right? And uh, that book, I've gone to it over and over and over again, but uh, it set me on a course where I would read Tozer uh, just devotionally and uh, collected all of his works. And the most quoted uh, uh, sentence of A.W. Tozer is actually from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, The Attributes of God, Why They're Meaningful to Christians and Why. And I want you to listen to this sentence that A.W. Tozer writes. It's the first sentence in the first chapter of his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I want you to think about that. What comes into our minds when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. Because what we believe should affect the way that we behave. Uh, our, our doctrine should affect our doing. And so Tozer says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us because he knows what we believe Affect, what we believe affects the way that we behave. I'm calling the, today's message, Knowing 
God. Now, as we take a deep dive into the essentials of biblical doctrine, as what we believe as a church, what is called theology proper, the study of God the Father, is where we begin today. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, writes this, The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. This is theology proper. The study of God the Father. And today's message, I want to make two points, really one point and one question. And the first point is this. God desires to be known. You ever thought about that? God desires to be known. Uh, He's not playing hide and seek with us. Uh, I remember when my little girls, uh, when they were real little, uh, one of my favorite games to play with them was hide and seek in the house. They loved playing hide and seek, and, and I loved playing it with them. And I would, my favorite place to hide was the bathtub, because I'd get in that bathtub and I'd pull that curtain too, and you know I'd hear those little steps pitter pattern, pitter pattern. And uh, Riley, when she was she was probably you know six or seven at the time, and Kelsey was probably four or five at the time, and I could hear him talking right outside the bathroom. You go in. No, you go in. And then Riley just kind of pushing her sister in. And they'd look, and I, man, I can remember that curtain. They'd pull that curtain back, and I'd come out with a roar. Man, just scare those little girls to death. It was awesome. I loved it. One of the, one of the advantages of being a PK, a, a pastor's kid, is that they have their friends, and inevitably they want to go play hide-and-seek at the church. They, they love that. And so we'll go up to the church. And uh, I can remember they had their friends one time. They wanted to go play hide-and-seek, and they had their little group over here. And this probably goes to show you their dad's warped sense of humor more than anything. But as they were getting ready to go, I said, hey, girls, listen. If you see a little girl wearing a white dress in the church, anywhere in the church, don't look her in the eyes. That ruined their hide-and-seek game. Yeah, Uh, But that just shows you my sense of humor. But I love playing hide-and-seek. But listen, God desires to be known. He's not hiding from us. In fact, the scripture says he's promised that if we do seek him, we will find him. Deuteronomy 4.29, 1 Chronicles 28.9, 2 Chronicles 15.2, Proverbs 8.17, Jeremiah 29.13, Isaiah 55, verse 6. That if we seek him, he will be found. Now before we talk about how he makes himself known, let's try to define who God is, if that's even possible. The scripture says that his greatness is unsearchable. And so how would you answer this question? You probably, if you have children or grandchildren, have had to answer it. Who is God? Maybe you're driving down the road when your kids were little or your grandchildren and they're going to church and they're learning all about God and You're just minding your own business, and then all of a sudden, out of the back seat, out of nowhere, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, where did God come from? And you change the subject as fast as you can. Uh, Who made God? Who is God? How would you answer this? Speaking of teaching our children, one of the reasons the Westminster Shorter Catechism was created in the 1640s, was to teach children doctrine. It was 
given in a question and answer format so that when kids came to church, they could learn doctrine by asking a question and then answering it. And the third question in the Westminster Catechism, what is God? And here's the answer that is given. It'll be on the screen for you. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal. The Bible says, Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's unchangeable. Scholars call this the immutability of God, that he does not change. He doesn't change in his being and his wisdom and power and holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. You look at this and each word is given a different scripture provided to back up this definition of who God is. The Apostles' Creed, outside of the early church creeds, it's the earliest creed that we have that is universally affirmed by the church second century it starts off like this and i want us to repeat this together it'll be on the screen i think it'll be on the screen here we go i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth let's read it together i believe in god the father almighty Creator of heaven and earth. It's a statement of faith. I believe in God. I believe in God the Father. Just work out the implications. That he's not distant. That he's not aloof. That he's up close. That he's personal. I believe in God the Father Almighty. This is a statement of faith that God can do anything. That nothing is too hard or too difficult for God. That He's almighty. That He's sovereign. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. If there's a creator, there's a mastermind behind all of this. That means we're under His rule. What we enjoy, what we have is a stewardship. If there's a creator, it means that we're not some mistake. We're not some random clump of matter that came together through a big bang or was a result of a long evolutionary process. We have a creator. When someone says, I don't believe in God, that's a statement of faith. As much a statement of faith as those of us who say, we believe in God. We believe in God. God the Father Almighty, creator of the heavens and earth. And we believe in this for logical reasons. We believe in this for educated reasons. We believe in this for faith reasons. And we believe this because this personal God has made himself known to us. Now, it's important to understand as we talk about knowing God, how he has chosen to reveal himself so that we can know him. The fact that God reveals himself shows his desire to be known, shows that he can be known, and there are four primary ways that he has chosen to reveal himself so that we can know him. The first way is through creation. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 and 2 
It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. You can look at creation and see the handiwork of God and get a glimpse of who he is, his power, his majesty, his grandeur. The scripture says in Romans 1, Verse 19 and 20, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. And so God has shown his desire to be known and how he has revealed himself Through creation, we can look at this world and all that is in it and see this invisible spirit has chosen to make himself known. See the glory of the heavens and the earth. From the stars in the sky to the planets that exist, and we've only seen just a little bit, to the massive bodies of water, to the majesty of the mountains and green landscapes and beautiful sunrises and sunsets think of the uniqueness of the animal kingdom did you know there are over 900,000 different insect species 300,000 species of plants God has revealed himself his power through his creation and that includes me and you Made in his image. And we can know something of God simply by looking at the intricacies of the created world. He desires to be known and he shouts at us through creation. A second way he has revealed himself, showing that he wants to be known, is our conscience. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Early church father St. Augustine. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Another way to put this, the French mathematician, Christian, Blaise Pascal, said there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. We'll get to that last statement in just a moment. The point is, we're made in the image of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, he has put eternity into man's heart. When God made you, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He hardwired you with a desire for the eternal, with a hunger to know God. And our desire... To find fulfillment and satisfaction and not find it in anything in this life should point us that there is something greater. And think about this. The fact that when you do feel most fulfilled and you do feel most satisfied, that that satisfaction and that fulfillment doesn't last 
What does that show us? God is beckoning your spirit to know him. The fact that you desire justice. That you know right from wrong. That you can even acknowledge what is wrong points to God. God has stamped your soul with his imprint and the desire for the eternal shows God's desire to be known by you. A third way that he has revealed himself showing that he wants to be known, longs to be known, is through his written word. Now we're going to spend a whole week in this doctrine series on the doctrine of the Bible. Why you can believe God's word. It's sufficiency, it's veracity. Bottom line is this though, if God does not reveal himself in scripture, then we're left scrambling. Because he may reveal himself in creation and we see his beauty in a sunrise, but what does it say when we see a horrific tornado? He may have revealed himself in our conscience and we know something eternal is within us. But if we're not told what that is and how that eternal can be fulfilled, then we're chasing whatever feels good, hoping that the next high that we have stays and that we ultimately find the answer. Instead, what God has chosen to do is reveal himself in Scripture, his written word. And the Bible colors in the lines more fully informing us who God is and what he is like. Because again, he wants to be known. And if you want to know God, all you have to do is pick up the Bible. The Bible shares with us the actions of God. You read the Bible, you see that God is a caring God, that God is a loving God, that God is a redeeming God. The Bible shares with us the names of God, which reveal his character. So you open up a a, a book of the Bible and you see uh, that God provides. His name shows us this. He's Jehovah Jireh, a God who provides. He's a God who heals and fully restores. Jehovah Rapha, Adonai, he's a God who's master and Lord. We wouldn't know any of these names of God and thus the character of God if it wasn't for Scripture, the written word. In Scripture, we get images of God where we can learn who God is and what he's like. When We read images like Father, Shepherd, King, Maker. The Bible also gives us attributes of God that, are, again, are foundational to his character. God is love. God is just. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. The Bible says before a word is on our tongue, he knows it completely. Omnipresent. Where can I go from your spirit, the scripture says. If I make my bed in the depths of the earth, you're there. If I go to the far side of the sea, you're there. We can't go anywhere from God. He's everywhere. Immutable, sovereign, complete, in perfect unity with the Godhead. We're going to talk about the Trinity next week. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God in three distinct persons, the Trinity. We would know nothing of God and His character apart from Him revealing Himself through His Word. But there's a fourth way. Again, God desires to be known. And he, re- he shows us this and how he reveals himself through creation, conscience, the written word. Fourthly, he reveals himself showing that he wants to be known through the living word. This is, of course, Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. 
And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus in John 17 is praying this high priestly prayer entire prayer chapter of Jesus just showing the the inside of his prayer life and he prays and he says and this is eternal life he's praying this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent if you want to know anything about God you just look at the life of Jesus and you'll get your answer you want to know how God responds to sin look at Jesus how he responds to sin You want to know what's important to God? Look at what Jesus taught. Look at what Jesus emphasized. Look at how Jesus lived his life. You want to know how God treats outsiders, how God treats sinners? Look at how Jesus treated outsiders and sinners. The ultimate way that God has made himself known, showing us that he wants us to, to, to know him, inviting us into a relationship, is by sending Jesus. When we talk about knowing God, we're talking about why it matters. Look back at verse 3 of John 17. This is eternal life. Knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so, big idea, when we start, when we study God the Father, big idea is this God, this invisible spirit, desires to be known. And here's the question I want to ask. Do you know God? I'm not talking about a head knowledge. I'm talking about a heart knowledge. I'm talking about true believers who, according to the Scripture, have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They've experienced Him. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this, A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about God. You know, the word know in the Hebrew Scriptures It describes the sexual union that exists between a man and a wife. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, the scripture says, And Adam knew his wife Eve and conceived and bore a son. It's intimate. It's personal. Jeremiah would take this whole idea of intimacy and personal knowledge of someone. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Intimately. Personally. Do you know God? It's a question that we've got to answer. Matthew would take this in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking. And he takes this whole idea of intimacy. This word know is the Greek word gnosko, which again is an experiential knowledge. One of the scariest verses in the Bible. Listen to what the scripture says. Not everyone, Jesus says, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name and go to church in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So you see the knowledge, not about God, but knowledge of God. It's critical. Hosea Chapter 6, verse 6, for I desire, God says, steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Every person in this room has to be able to answer this question in the affirmative. Do you know God? Not about God. Not, not things about him. Do you know him? Um, it's no secret this weekend, Taylor Swift's in town. I mean, if you were paying attention to the news, you know she's here. Some of y'all are Swifties, and you, you're keeping it in, not telling anybody, but you listen to the music, yeah. You go to the concert. There's a whole difference between knowing Taylor Swift and knowing Taylor Swift. I mean, you can know all of her songs. You can watch documentaries and see why she does what she does. You can dress like her all day long. You can go to the concert, have a blast singing all the songs. And you can walk away and say, I know Taylor Swift. I know that song. That's very different than Taylor Swift inviting you backstage having a conversation with you, asking you about your life. So you know what, let's go back to the tour bus. Let's talk some more. Starts telling you about her music and her songs and why she wrote this song and there's give and take and there's a conversation. There's a difference in knowing about someone and really knowing someone. And God, and as infinite and incomprehensible as he is, I want you to think about the grace in this. The maker of the heavens and the earth has chosen to reveal himself to me and to you so that we can know him. He has invited us in to a personal relationship with him and if you don't know him today needs to be the day of salvation don't settle for knowing facts about God knowing facts about the Bible don't settle for being a nominal believer Don't settle for just coming to church and gathering scraps from a life group teacher or from a preacher and not personally dining with Christ one-on-one and letting him feed you from his word. You know, nominal believers are practical atheists. There's not a whole lot of difference. 
An atheist says, I don't believe in God. An agnostic says, I don't know if God exists or not. It doesn't matter. And so what they believe, doesn't, it, it, it affects the way that they behave. They don't believe in God. They don't believe there's a creator. And so they're their own God. The world revolves around them. They can do whatever they want. Whatever feels good, do it. Whatever they're craving, go try to find the answer for it, however you choose to. What's the difference in that and a so-called believer who says they believe, but they don't act on what they believe? It's practical atheism. Practical atheists have no problem worshiping on Sunday and then Sunday afternoon popping off on their social media and letting somebody have it. Practical atheists have no problem giving a tithe at the same time, talking about somebody behind their back, gossiping, slander. Practical atheists can easily see the speck of sin in someone else's eye, never knowing that there's a plank in their own. Nominal believers. When you live like this, you know what it points to? It points to the fact that you truly don't know God. Because those who know him, those who really know him, adjust their life to his demands. Even the parts of the life that nobody else sees. True believers discover they can know God. And they spend their life getting to know him more and more and more and more. I, I told this illustration last week, and I ruined the sermon with it. I hope I don't do that today. But I grew up, and we, we, we were a very blue-collar family. My dad was a brick mason. My mom was an RN. And uh, I never went without. I mean, if I needed a new glove for ball, I got my new glove. If I needed new clothes, I got my, my new clothes. But we weren't wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, we hardly ever went out to eat. But when we did, it was one of two places. It was either Western Sizzlin, that was a big day out, all right? Or it was Ponchos, raise the flag Ponchos, all right? Some of you feel it. My parents were in town this past weekend, and there's only one Ponchos left in the world. It's over in Umpel, and we drove 35 minutes to go eat at Ponchos, all right? It was awesome. But you know, Ponchos, that buffet, you know, you raise that flag, and it fills you up to where you don't want to, you don't even want to raise the flag. You don't want to see the flag ever again, all right, for like the next three weeks. Um, uh, but the Word of God, when you feast on the Word of God, man, it fills you up and you grow in your knowledge of God. And, and you can't stop growing in your knowledge of God. And you're like, you want more and you want more and you want more. So I want you, for, for those of us that are believers, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, how do we continue to grow? We're talking about knowing God. How can we continue growing in a knowledge of God? I want to give you two reasons as we bring this message to a close today and get very practical. Number one is, I want you, if, if we're going to continue to grow in our knowledge of the Lord, we have to listen to the word. You will never grow in your knowledge of God apart from giving your life to the Word of God. So we give our life to the living Word, Jesus, uh, and to the written Word, His Scripture. This is what sanctification, this is how the sanctification process works. This is how we become more like Jesus, is we give ourselves to God's Word, and we need to be taking in more of God's Word, not less. You do know, this is why, you, you do know, um, you decide to give yourself to God's word. You, you know the devil's real because you get so distracted when you want to open up your Bible. Amen. Don't you? Amen. You start thinking of your to-do list. Your phone starts buzzing. It's the devil. 
He knows the Word is alive and active. He knows if you ever get serious about giving your life to the Word, that you'll be able to say no to the flesh, that you'll grow in your power of discernment, that you'll have an increasing desire for holiness. That's why he tries to distract you from it. I think it was Tony Evans who said, God feeds hungry people. And so you get up, and if you don't have a desire, you're here today and you're a Christian. You know you've asked Jesus in your life, but there's no desire for the things of God. Where does it start? It starts with getting honest before the Lord and say, God, would you give me a desire for your word? Give me a hunger. God will feed you. And so you pray and you ask him for it. And warning, as you give yourself to God's word, some discouragement can set in because as you give yourself to God's word, you're going to feel like you're not growing at all. You're going to feel worse about yourself. You know why? Because you're getting closer to holiness. The closer you get to the sun, the hotter you're going to feel. And the closer you get to God, the more he reveals himself. But watch this, as he reveals himself, he reveals yourself. And so you see how sinful you are. That's a, that's a positive thing. That's called growing in grace. Don't get discouraged by that. It's a good thing when God reveals himself and yourself, okay? So we got to grow in the knowledge of God by giving ourselves to the Word of God, listening to the Word of God. Do whatever you can. If it's it's downloading apps where you can listen to the Word of God, if it's working out where you can listen to the Word of God, it's opening up your Bibles and taking it in. Do whatever you can to give yourself to the Word of God if you want to grow in a knowledge of God, okay? But secondly... And this is, this is what I would call a, a knowledge of God's superpower, okay? That is, we've got to obey the Word. So we don't just listen to the Word, we've got to obey the Word, all right? Obeying the Word is like a steroid for growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, you can listen to the Word and memorize the Word all day long, and again, if it doesn't work itself out in action, there's a knowledge of God that can only be gained by obedience. Um, I'll use my example of coming to Houston. 20 years in Dallas. Uh, never thought I would leave there. It's where I met my wife. Um, it's the church that raised me up. Thought I'd be there forever. I knew of the faithfulness of God. I knew of the provision of God. I've been following Jesus since I was 11. Trusted him at 17. He'd come through time and again. But then he starts this call to Houston. I can know that God provides, and I can know that God is faithful. But until I step out of the boat and start walking on some uncertain waters, there's a different knowledge that comes along with that. And let me just say this. For those of us that want a deeper knowledge of God, oftentimes, more often than not, fair warning, it comes through periods of brokenness. Um, if we could pass the mic around, your story of when you were closest to the Lord probably wasn't on the mountaintop. It was probably in the valley. Periods of brokenness. And so it's a spiritual reality. It's the cost of knowing God. He weans us from this world by showing us that we don't need it. And what we find in the process is that knowing Him is all that matters. It's a grace gift from God. You want to grow superpower, growing in your knowledge of God, start obeying what you're listening to. So when the Bible says, share your faith, and God presents you an opportunity to share your faith, obey. When God says, take a step of faith in this direction, take a step of faith. You'll grow at a deeper level of the knowledge of God than you've ever had. If he says, confess a wrong, 
You're in your time alone with the Lord and the Spirit of God arrests your heart because of the way that you spoke to your spouse earlier. He says, go get it right. You swallow your pride and you go and apologize. It's a different kind of obedience. Watch, watch, watch what God does when you do that. He tells you to confront somebody in love. That's not easy. But you do it because God tells you to do it. And watch what happens. Think about our heroes of the faith. Hebrews chapter 11. They all knew God. But you know what they had in common? You know why they're in Hebrews chapter 11? Because they acted on what they knew. There was a deeper knowledge of God. It was an experiential knowledge. More than just a head knowledge. Charles Stanley this week went to be with the Lord. 90 years old. First Baptist Atlanta. Touching. In touch ministries. He was. Uh, his most famous statement. Is this. Obey God and leave the consequences to Him. I have a saying regarding my own time alone with the Lord. And I simply say this. When you, this is what I, I tell this to people that I disciple. When you have the Word of God open before you and the Spirit of God living within you, nothing is coincidence. And so this invitation to this abundant life, I mean, come on. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. And some of us aren't experiencing that. You know why? Because we're listening to the word, but we're not obeying the word. We're not doing what God's telling us to do. And when you have the living word of God open before you, and you have the spirit of the living God within you, nothing's coincidence. It becomes a journey with God. So when you're reading and a name pops in your head, why does that name pop in your head? Maybe it's to call that person, tell them you were just reading this verse of Scripture and thought about them and want to pray it over. God's speaking to you. No coincidence. So here's what I want to do. I want to close this message out. By reading two passages of Scripture. We've already looked at them in this message, but I want to just close by really concentrating on them. And I want the Spirit of God. That's the thing about the Spirit of God. Um, he can take one thing that's being said, and because He desires to be known by every single person in this room, He can take that word and uniquely apply it to every single person in here. And so I want to give you two verses of Scripture. And I want the Spirit of God to speak whatever He would desire into your life at this moment. First one's Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. We've already seen it. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. Do you know God? Not know about him. Do you know it? Why does it matter? John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you. Kidding me? about this the creator of the heavens and the earth the one who knit you together in your mother's womb knows the number of hairs on your head I'm looking at some of you some lack thereof that God knows you and he is inviting you in you can know the invisible spirit the eternal one you can know him. 
in a personal way, at the same level that you know your spouse, you can know that God when you surrender your life to his son Jesus. So I want us to bow across this room. I want this time of invitation to be, uh, I have a couple different levels to it. One is you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus in a personal way. Look, today's the day of salvation. The gospel is that God revealed himself in the person of Jesus and Jesus came to this earth as a man, 100% God, 100% man. And he died on a cross for our sins because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no chance of being in a right relationship with God apart from Jesus. And so Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died, shed his blood for me and you. The Bible teaches that he was buried and then he was raised to life. And his resurrection shows, it's the exclamation point of him being who he said he was. He beat death. You follow the one who beat death. There may be one or two or three people here that you really don't know God. You know all about him, but you don't have a personal relationship with him. And today is the day of salvation. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and just tell the pastor or the prayer partner that's going to be standing here that you want to trust in Christ. And we're going to put some resources in your hand and we're going to celebrate with you and we're going to answer any questions that you may have. We're going to pray with you. There's others of you in here. You're a Christian, no doubt about it. But one of two things have happened. You've either settled for a knowledge about God, and you're equating that to being in a right relationship with him. And that's, that, can't, that can't be accurate because the Pharisees knew all about God, but they weren't in a right relationship with him. And so there's some Christians that you need to, you need to have this message as just kind of a, a point of, a turning point for you. It's just kind of jarred you back to reality. Okay, knowing about him isn't the same as knowing him. How do I know him? You give your life to his word and then acting upon his word. That's how you can know. Um, and that message, today's message is for you in that regard. Others of you, you've just been lackadaisical. You haven't been growing in your knowledge of God because you haven't been giving yourself to the word. And so today's message is an invitation. God's by spirit is using it. Say, so you know what? I need to hunger and thirst for righteousness once again. I need that. I need to be filled with the word of God once again. And so these, for you, Christian, it's just really an opportunity for you to pray and repent and just share with the Lord, you know, this is what I want to do. So we're going to have our pastors here. We're going to have some prayer partners here. This is a time of invitation. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to stand and sing. And if you want to talk with anyone, pray with anyone, share your decision with anyone, I'm going to ask you to come. We're just going to sing a couple of verses of a song, and then I'll close the service out. So, Father, in Jesus' name, this is your invitation. Where you've spoken to hearts, let us respond in a way that honors you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, 
Of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.